Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to another episode of So A Married Horror Fan. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Simon. And I'm Lee. And uh, this is episode 91. Um, just a quick note from us before we get into episode 91. Um, I'm sure as you guys, some of you guys may have seen on social media, um, we've been having a bit of a tough time recently with some things. I won't go into it, you guys. If you saw the message, you saw the message. Uh, we just want to take time to say thank you to everybody that sent us DMs, sent us messages on Twitter, Instagram, uh, reached out to us with messages of support. Um, you know, it was very kind of you all and we, we greatly appreciate it. Um, as as we may have mentioned in the... Um, as we did mention in the, uh, in <laughs> in the, the message. Note, in the note, we will be scaling back some of our episodes for September. So there will be... Uh, no longer a, a, an episode on bodies, 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 and there's going to be no longer an episode on Don't Worry, Darling. We are um, going to try and record some more episodes for this month, this week, so we can keep everything on track and try and deal with what we need to, um, and try and sort of deal with everything necessary in a in due course. Um, and then we will look at the schedule for October. The schedule from October may be reduced as well but we will still be doing one episode a week the main schedule for both months will stay on track it's just the extra content we will be looking at maybe not doing as much of while we try and sort of get ourselves back on an equal foot but we just wanted to say thank you to everyone who supported us you know for two people from Portsmouth who run a silly little podcast on the internet like it was really nice to see people reaching out to us and, and showing us support and um, it does kind of show us that, like, the horror community is the best community out there. Mm. Um, so, you know, we just want to say once again, thank you for that. And, um, yeah, stay tuned. Keep your eyes on our social media and we'll be updating um, at some point with what the 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 new schedule for... Se- well, the current schedule for September will be and the schedule for October. But with that said and with that out of the way, we are here to talk about haircuts. Shaves. Shaves and haircuts and pies. Yeah. Um, the worst pies in London, in fact. The worst pies in London. Yes. I don't think I've ever had a pie in London. <coughs> uh, no. I feel like this movie has put me off ever eating pies in London, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I don't know if I've ever had a shit meal when I've been in London. I'm trying to think now. Because mm. we've been to London a fair amount of times, but I don't think I've ever had a really poor meal. In London? I don't think we have. No. Like one where I've walked away from it and gone, oh, that was gross. No, I don't think we have. Um. So yeah, carrying on our musical, horror musicals theme for September. Today we are looking at, to give it its full title, Sweeney Todd, colon, the demon barber of the Fleet Streets. I mean, that's not the title, but sure. Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street, not the Fleet's Streets. Dumbass. So, this movie was directed by Tim Burton, based on the musical by Stephen Sondheim. Big Steve. R.I.P. Uh, screenplay for this was done by John Logan. Uh, the music of the musical was written by <coughs> John Wheeler, and then Christopher Bond helped with the musical adaptation for the film. Cast-wise, we have Johnny Depp, a.k.a. Galette Grindelwald II, as Sweeney Todd. 
We have Helena Bonham Carter, aka Bellatrix the Strange, as Mrs. Lovett. We have Alan Rickman, aka Severus Snape, as Judge Derby. aka Marvin the Paranoid Android. We have Timothy Small, aka Peter Pettigrew, as Beadle. We've got Sasha Baron Cohen as Pirelli. Jamie Campbell Bauer, aka Gilbert Grindelwald the First, as Anthony. Uh, this movie is just a fucking Wizarding World reunion. Sasha Baron Cohen, aka Borat. AKA. What's the other one he did? Bruno? No, that's. Borat, Bruno, Ali G, the yeah. dictator. Uh, Laura Michelle Kelly as Lucy slash the Baker Woman. Jane Weisner as Joanna. And Ed Sanders as Toby. Jane Weisner, you better wise up. Jane Weisner. No, that was last week. We did the wise up for the Janet Weiss. Okay. <laughs> um, plot line wise for this film. The synopsis is the legendary tale of a barber who returns from wrongful imprisonment to 1840s London, bent on revenge for the rape and death of his wife, and resumes his trade while forming a sinister partnership with his fellow tenant, Mrs. Lovett. Which is probably on one point, actually. Uh, this movie was made on a budget of $50 million, and it made $153.4 million at box office. Yeah. Uh... And it was a January dumping ground movie in this country. It was. It was December in the US and then January in the UK. January 25th to be specific. Mm-hmm. And December 21st in the US to be specific. Yeah. Or weirdly December 3rd in New York. Just New York. Yeah, that was probably the premiere, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. December 3rd, 2007, New York City. Um, Just a, just a quick side note, a quick six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Mm-hmm. And actually, it will get back to Kevin Bacon. Okay. John Logan wrote this movie mm-hmm. about Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. Sweeney Todd was originally a character who appeared in a Penny Dreadful called The String of Pearls. Mm-hmm. John Logan would then go on to create the show Penny Dreadful, starring Eva Green, who Tim Burton would end up with after leaving Helena Bonham Carter. John Logan would then also go on to write and direct They Slash Them, starring Kevin Bacon. There you go. Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. I mean, you didn't need the middle ground of uh, Eva Green in there. No, I just thought it was funny, though, that he wrote this story that was based, based on, on Penny, Penny Dreadful, Dreadful and then he would then... The show, yeah. Penny Dreadful. And I don't think Sweeney Todd ever appeared in the series, because um, he did four seasons of the show, and then they did the spin-off show, which was City of Angels, which had Natalie Dormer in it. I don't know. I've never seen... Um... Pretty dreadful. I think I should probably watch it at some point because I think it's very up my alley. Yeah, it's Frankenstein's but, um, in it. Okay. Um, like Frankenstein's monsters played by Rory Kinnear in it, and the guy who played Riff Raff in the remake of Rocky Horror Picture Show, who also played Spider Man in Spider Man: Turn Up the Lights, is in it as well. Yeah. It's good. It's like the first season's really good because uh, what's his name's in it as well. Uh, the Resurrection Man himself, Josh Hartnett. Fair enough. But yeah, uh, this movie good. This movie is good. We're going to pour one out for our homie, Steve Sondheim. He was a real one. Uh, but yeah, like, I had... This is one of those movies, like, I always forget about. Yeah. Like, I saw this movie when it came out at the cinema 14 years ago. That's a sentence that I just said and it made me feel disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seeing it. I remember it being like raved about when it came out because i think between like this was maybe tim burns like comeback after 
Corpse Bride and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I don't think there's something in between. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he literally made those two movies and then made this. I could be wrong. So I think because like a lot of people didn't like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, those people are wrong. That movie is incredible. It's not as good as the original, though. I think it's better, personally. Rude, for sure. Um, but I think because people were disappointed with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, because this movie was so good, I think it got more... Right. No, um, he made. Oh well, he made Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Ch- Chuckles and the Chocolate Factory. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Corpse Bride were both released in two thousand and five, and then this was the next film he did. Yeah, that's what I said. No, you said Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You didn't mention. Yeah, I did the mention Corpse Bride. Oh, sorry, I didn't yeah. hear you say that. Because I knew they came out in the same. I year. like Corpse Bride. Yeah, I think I think those two movies were considered like not his usual. Like he went through a bit of a lull, didn't he, in the early two thousands? Because he made Planet of the Apes, which we all know was dog shit. Then he made Big. I've never seen it. Then he made Big Fish, which is arguably like top two, top three Tim Burton movie. Like, I think it's my favorite Tim Burton film ever made. I think it's maybe like my second. Um, I think. Because I love Batman Returns. Like, I think Batman That's Returns fair. is my favourite. And then I'm obviously... I'm querying that. Let me double check. I'll get back to you. Because everybody, as I said, was mixed on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And Corpse Bride, was it successful? Or was it one of those films that found success later on? I have no idea. Um, answers on a postcard, kids. Because I don't like that movie. So, I think I've only ever seen it's it It's in once. my top five um, Timmy Lee. films. Um, I think that's why a lot of this movie was like, oh my God, it's Tim Burton back to his best. Like, you know, Steve Son- Stephen... I'm not going to call him Steve. Oh, Steve. St- Stephen Sondheim signed off on it as well. It was like his favourite adaptation of his work ever um, to a point because of, by that point Into the Woods hadn't come out. Mm. Um, I think there was a lot of hype surrounding this movie. Yeah. Um, I definitely remember it being a big deal when it came out. Um, but yeah, it's one of those movies that I always kind of weirdly forget that Tim. Like, there's a couple of movies like that in Tim Burton's collection where I'm like, "Oh shit, yeah!" Like Tim Burton made that movie. Mrs. Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children and Dark Shadows are two other movies where I'm like, "Fuck yeah, Tim Burton made those movies." Um, but I think like at the time this was made, Tim Burton's probably the only person who could have made it. Oh yeah. Or like made it the way that it was made. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Because you think about the landscape of filmmaking in, like, 2007, and, like, this was way before, like, other directors appeared. Like, this was way before the days of, like, um, people like Jordan Peele and, like, Ari Aster and, you know, all of those, like, darker horror-based filmmakers. This was more of, like... Because this is, this is a horror movie. It is a horror movie. Uh, but it's, it's a mainstream horror movie because it's a musical. I don't think there's many people at, that were operating. Tom Hob, Tom Hooper maybe could have made this. He's the You've guy. You've lost me at directors, babe. So Tom Hooper is the guy who made the Queen, the King's Speech, but he also made Les Miserables and he made Cats, regrettably. Mm. So looking at the scale of like Les Miserables, I think Les Miserables. However the fuck you say it, Les Miserables. Les Miserables. He could have made this, but like I'm trying to think at that time at anybody else that would have made this movie as dark and as weird as it is because this is a weird like the concept of the musical and the story of this film is weird Mm. like it's a cannibal 
revenge horror musical. Yeah. I guess. Like, because, like, everybody always forgets casually. Like, this movie has, like, one of the central plots of this movie is fucking cannibalism. Oh, yeah. But, like, not in a, like, hey, man, everybody's a cannibal. Like, everybody's an unknowing cannibal. It's slightly like, worse, to be honest. Like, everybody's just, like, eating these weird fucking pies. The um, London. Do you remember the first time you saw this movie? Because you wouldn't have seen it in the cinema. You wouldn't have been old enough. When was it? 2007? 2008. 2007? 2008, it came out. Yeah. Um. So, that was 14 years ago. So, you'd have been 16. It was an 18. It's an 18. Is it? Yeah. No. Yes, 100. It's really not even that bad. Yeah, but you think this is a 2008 18. That is true. That is true. Um, so I've rewatched it at home. I must have been slightly older than 16. Well, if this came out in January 2008, you wouldn't have even been 16. All right, babe. Come on, <laughs> Um, I would have seen it relatively early on because I was a cute at 16, 17. I was a massive Tim Burton fan. Yeah, I think everybody was. <laughs> I think we all went through. Like it was phase. like my shit. Plus, I was at like peak emo goth girl. Mm-hmm. So like my life consisted of Night Before Christmas, everything, and Big Fish had come out by this point as well. And I must have I've seen that film hundreds of times. I fucking adore Big Fish. Um, so I must have seen it like pretty much as it got released. For like DVD, yeah, um, and I could like get my hands on it. <clears throat> um, I remember seeing it for the first. I remember seeing it for the first time purely because I remember watching it, and all of my friends had also seen it at this point, and they were all like, "Oh my god, Sweeney Todd's so hot! Oh my god, Johnny Depp's gorgeous in this film!" And I was just there, like, I think you're all missing the point of like, there's a really fit blonde dude in this film. Mm. Anthony guys and uh yeah aka Lee's awakening to Jamie Hammer Bauer his first proper film as well there's a moment that I realized that I was into that pregnancy yeah because he does this and then he jumps out a window in Harry Potter I do. He does other stuff in between those two things. Yeah, but like those are the two things at this time that he was really known for. I don't, like... I don't think he's in Harry Potter until quite a few films later. He's in the last one, isn't he? Or what? One of the last yes. two? Because you see him. He's in the last second to last one. Isn't he in like two scenes? You see him in like a book, and then you see him he jump tr- out. Window. Yeah, he's in part one, which is that I the only time you see him in the Harry Potter franchise. But by this point, so by the time he was in Harry Potter, he'd done Sweeney Todd, he did Rock and Roll, which I, I hadn't seen until recently. And he'd done New Moon. Oh shit, I forget he's, he's in Rock Kais and Roll. he's Voltaire. Volturi? Caius Volturi? Caius Volturi? I don't know which way around it is. And then he did Harry Potter. And then he's done a few things I haven't seen. Like, I've still never seen Camelot. Well, I've still out. never seen Will, um, Will. So New Moon came out after this. No, it didn't. New Moon came out in 2009. Yeah. Yeah, which is after this. I know. I just said that. I was like, he did this, he did Rock and Roller, and then he did New Moon. I literally just said yeah. that to you. And was... then he's in Harry Potter. Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking that, yeah, I was, yeah, sorry. Um. So you are right, it's relatively early in his career. I mean, he's in a shot. And then he's in, like, a, he's, he's credited as being in Crimes of Grindelwald. There's a photo of him. Mm-hmm. He might, actually, he might be a reflection of a mirror, maybe. Yeah, because I think it's when Dumbledore's looking in the mirror... In the second one, and he sees he sees him as he was at the age when they made the blood pact that he couldn't break. Yes, 
um, which is fucking nonsense. And they, they completely... Spoilers briefly if you haven't seen the third movie, whatever the fuck that movie's called. Mm-hmm. Um, they break that fucking blood oath in the second, in the third movie. Do you know what? The aging process in Harry... Like, sorry, I'm just going to go on a little bit of a tangent about Har- Har- Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harold of Potter. The aging process for these motherfuckers in Harry Potter must be so disheartening. Because, like, fucking Jamie Campbell Bowers, like, hey, man, I was a really good-looking dude. And arguably, Mads Mikkelsen is not a bad-looking dude. But he's not Jamie Campbell But, Bauer like, how do you age from being Jamie Campbell Bauer to, to being, being John- Mads Mikkelsen? To being Johnny Depp to being Mads Mikkelsen. Well, yeah. Well, we said that, didn't we, watching this? Is you put him and Johnny Depp next to each other in this movie, they do look like they could potentially yeah. be an older version of each other. And also, are we... Because it's never really explained. Like, because they, they, they could have explained it, but they chose not to. What is Grindelwald's true form? Is he, is he supposed to be Johnny Depp in the third movie, but he's changed his appearance to look like Mads Mikkelsen? Or are we supposed to believe that they were just the same guy the whole I time? I don't know, because it isn't really yeah. addressed, is it? And obviously everyone still knows Mads Mikkelsen is Grindelwald. Yeah, because we obviously know... But everyone know... also knew Johnny Depp was Grindelwald. Yeah. It's, it's, basically, they just recast it and went, just don't talk about it, no yeah. one will notice. Because obviously they have the explanation for how Percival Graves... And, like, Grindelwald are the same person. Which doesn't not. make any fucking sense. Because he's fucking but... using Polyjuice Potion. Like, he's not using Polyjuice Potion, Or whatever though. the fuck he's doing. He's like, maybe it's a face-off, I'll see your face-off face situation. Maybe. There's some dude walking around still in the Harry Potter world with Johnny Depp's face. And, and Matt, Matt Mikkelsen's just swap faces. <laughs> so, yeah, that was kind of like my, my point was like, who did he age into? Did he age into Johnny Depp and then he's masquerading as Mads Mikkelsen? No one or is fucking Mads, knows. is Mads Mikkelsen his... Because nobody <laughs> could be asked to actually yeah. write a reasoning behind or the Or is Mads Mikkelsen it. his final form? And it's the same with, like, what's his face? Uh, Jude Law. How pissed would you be if you look like Jude Law and then in the space of 10 years you turn it's into... It's not 10 or 50, years. 50 years, however the fucking long yeah, it is. Like, it's like 50 years probably. Yeah, you turn I'm into... I'm trying to think. Yeah, it, mm, no, it Oh, so Voldemort was 70. No, so it had been about 70 years previous. Yeah. So I think Voldemort is born the year Grindelwald yeah. died. Well, he doesn't die. He gets imprisoned in Nuremberg. <coughs> I apologise. I just realised how, how how ridiculously also, nerdy that is. Also, was Jude Law cast because he looks like the Richard Harris or because he looks like Michael Gambon? Because again, because of casting issues, because R.I.P. Richard Harris, they had to get the far superior... Michael Gambon to play, but but what I'm saying is, Jude Law plays his performance. Jude Law plays his performance as if he's playing a young Richard Harris. Yeah. So I assume, even though when they made these movies, Richard Harris was R.I.P. He was obviously the first choice to play, like Dumbledore. So Jude Law's meant to be, and in the third movie, some of his accent comes out, like some of his voice is very Richard Harris. Esque. Also, he's doing a West Country accent at some point, and it's really fucking weird. There's a point in that third Harry Potter movie where they're on a train, and he, or like, there's a. There's well, Dumbledore, a... I think, is from the West Country. Yeah. So there's the scene where he's on the train, and then there's the scene where he's in like the dingy pub talking to his brother, and he's like, oh, our, oh, our, we're gonna go fight our Grindelwald, we are. And I'm like, where the fuck did this fucking pie and mash West Country accent come from? Anyway, anyway, enough about Harry Potter. 
I just think. Also, if, I think all of all the fans have just learned that I'm a huge ridiculous Harry yeah, Potter. But I, I ass- way too much but I assume franchise. I assume Johnny Depp was cast to play the older Gellert Grindelwald because him and Jamie, you could believe that Jamie Campbell Bower would anamorphs his way into him, and the same as Jude Law looks a little bit like he looks fuck all like Michael Gambon. He but acts, he does look yeah. like he could become Richard Dumbledore. Harris, and he also doesn't act like because like the two Dumbledores act very differently. Like yes. there is a clear there is Michael Gambon is slightly more youthful. I think he's also whereas slightly, Richard Harris very much plays the kindly old grandfather. I also role. think he's slightly more aggressive. <laughs> yeah, do you not think he's a bit more heavy-handed? Oh yeah, massively. Like, but I blame the director for that because Michael Gamble is a fantastic actor. I will always blame the directing choice for that. I kind of just assume, because I'd seen Layer Cake, where he plays a crime boss who uh, hires Daniel Craig. It's kind of like a Guy Ritchie type snatch lockstock kind of movie. And he plays a really fucking double-ard gangster bastard in that. And I just kind of assume they took him off the set of that movie and just moved him into Harry Potter. <laughs> and he's just he's just playing the same guy. He's playing like... Dumbledore like he was like an actual OG it was really weird it's like when I first saw the Harry Potter movie so we're going back to when they were first released I didn't realise it was a different Dumbledore until maybe like my third or fourth time watching them through and I was like hang on a second because I was young when the first film I was what 11 when the first film came out yeah and I remember, like, it took me a good three or four rewatches to realise it was a different Dumbledore. <laughs> just be just be thankful those movies weren't made in the age of de-aging tech. Because they would have just cast Michael Gambon and just CGI'd Richard Harris's face over the top. Mm. Like, that's what they would have done. So it would have been... And I'm surprised now, looking back at it, that someone hasn't fucking George Lucas those movies. Mm. Um, because there's so many things between the two... I, it's the same franchise, but the two the two franchises that like are so tenuously linked, like the fact that the fucking cat teacher turns up in like the We're second gonna go. the second fucking gonna go. and I'm like that bitch wouldn't have been old enough to be fucking um yeah no, she also I don't mean to call Maggie Smith a bitch Maggie Smith's a real one um I think if I remember correctly she would have graduated Hogwarts but she wouldn't have been teaching yet yeah. She, because she didn't start teaching until she was far older, because she got married, and like had a whole life, yeah, um, before she became. And it seems it seems like she's like a TA in the second Fantastic Beasts movie. Yeah, but she wasn't even working at Hogwarts. She was she was working for the Ministry of Magic at that point, I think, or working on her. Apologies, working on her Transfiguration mastery. Yeah, I. I'm a massive nerd. I need to go lay down. So anyway, we're not we're not here to. That's a significant chunk of this episode that was taken. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> this this movie is basically a Harry Potter alum. Before no, they, so a lot of them would have been Harry Potter alum at this point already. Yeah, because the first Harry Potter movie came out in two thousand and one. Yeah. So this was so, like six years. No, later. it would have been two thousand and one. Two thousand. Yeah. No. Yeah. I wasn't alive when the first film Yeah, because they celebrated the twenty. They celebrated the twenty fifth anniversary of Philosopher's Stone last am year because really, oh, they re-released it on really, fucking Blu-ray. I thought I was. I will tell you how. I will tell you how old. Yeah, two thousand one. Yeah. I will tell you how old Philosopher's Stone is. I remember my mum taking my sister to see it. Nine. And my mum was on the way home from the cinema with my sister. She phoned me. To say, oh, we're just going to be like on our way home. We'll be like half an hour, like put the kettle on. I was like, all right. She's like, oh yeah, we just saw a trailer for Attack of the Clones, which didn't come until the year later. I saw the first Harry Potter movements in the cinema. Yeah, but I would have been nine. 
I saw all of the Harry Potter movies. I, I have seen all of the Harry Potter movies on TV and slash Blu-ray, all with a gun to my head. Mm. <laughs> Except the fourth a one. Wand. You like the fourth one. A wand one. to my head. A baguette. <laughs> yeah. You like the fourth one. Yeah, the fourth one. It's the only one I can convince you to watch when I'm having, when I'm having a bad day. I'm like, can we put the fourth uh, one on? Goblet of Fire is great. And I like the first Fantastic Beasts movie. Mm. But that's just purely because I find Eddie Redmayne to be a sexual creature and I want him to lick me from head to toe. <laughs> Direct quote from uh, the ratty. Direct quote from our friend Jess. I I, I think he has a sexual charisma of a shrew, personally. Do you know what makes me laugh, though? So we go out for dinner. I'm going to tell you a story quickly. We'd gone out for dinner for my birthday. We were talking about Eddie Redmayne, as you did. I don't even know how the little prick came up. I have no idea. Is it because we'd said we were going to see the new Fantastic Beasts? I think it's because we were going to see the new Fantastic Beasts movie. And I turned round and went, oh, Eddie Redmayne has the energy of, like, I want to wrap him in blankets, feed him hot chocolate, and just make sure he's okay. Like, give him a good cuddle and just check up on him. And our friend Jess turned around and was like, oh, no, no, no. She's like, don't fucking lie to me. You want him to lick you from head to toe and you know he'd worship you. For like half an hour. <laughs> and I was like, all right, babe. He, he looks like he needs a good meal. Um, just I'm just going to put it out there. Are any, any of our, our, ones of our listeners aggressively horny for Eddie Redmayne? Please let us know. I, don't get it. I personally don't get it. I, I think he looks like he needs a good dinner. He looks like a, an otter in a Disney movie who got turned into a human. <laughs> and he doesn't really quite know what to do with himself. Right. No, he's all limbs, isn't he? Yeah. He's very, like, shrew, ottery kind of like... He, he's a similar build, to bring it back to this movie, to Jamie Campbell Bower. Like, he has a lot of limbs. And they're very, very, very thin. Mm-hmm. And they're all extra limbs, like no one really knows what they're doing with them. Whereas Jamie seems to have figured out how to place himself, so he's working everything at the same time. Uh, Eddie Redmayne has not figured that out. <laughs> he looks like one of those blow up. Wacky waving, wacky waving in flames. Yeah. So he looks like he doesn't quite know what to do with any of, lim- any of his limbs. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so back to Sweeney Todd. Yeah, I, so the first time I saw this movie was at the cinema. I went to see this movie opening weekend because much like you, uh, I grew up obsessed with Tim Burton. Tim Burton was my shit. We have talked about Tim Burton twice on this podcast before when we covered Henry Selleck's Nightmare Before Christmas and when we covered Sleepy Hollow. Um, so he's he's been mentioned. So I think our feelings on Tim Burton are well known. We're lucky we've not got Dark Shadows for next month. I also I also am a big fan of musicals. For those of you that don't know, part of the reason why we're doing a musicals month is because I fucking love a musical. You do, um, musical. and big big Steve Sondheim was responsible for the lyrics for one of my favourite musicals because he wrote the lyrics for uh, the songs in West Side Story. Oh. No, he wasn't One Night in Bangkok. One Night in Bangkok was a dude from ABBA yeah. and Tim Rice. Not Curry. No. Still should have started their own production company, Curry and Rice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I I went into this movie with like because technically Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a musical. Mm. Um, so this is like the second musical he's directed in his career. Um, mm. And one of the only because he didn't direct Night Before Christmas. Corpse Bride is also a musical, babe. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, it was Ryan's musical. I didn't know that. And I wouldn't really call Charlie Chocolate Factory a musical, personally. Yeah. There is songs, but it's not really a musical. Yeah. How many songs? There's, yeah, there's like three. It's all the Oompa Loompa yeah, songs. Yeah, it's all the Oompa Loompa songs when all the kids get killed. Um, that are like... 
Um, yeah, not so, those ones though. It's different ones. Yeah, so originally it was the Umpa Lumpa Doopity Doo songs. They're different. I think they rap at one point in. Yeah, I think when I think when Mike TV gets killed, he they rap, do like a rock they? song, and then they do a they do like a rapping song. I think when Veruca gets killed by the squirrels, maybe is it Veruca who gets killed by the squirrels? Yes, or, and it's Violet, Violet Beauregard who gets, who gets turned into a giant Violet. Yeah. And then a blueberry. She sends a giant blueberry. blueberry. Violet, you're violet. Um, and then the I can't think. I can never remember the first. Gus. Augustus Gloop. Augustus. Augustus Gloop. Yeah, because he drowns in the chocolate river. Yeah. Um, and then Violet gets turned into a giant blueberry. Mike TV gets sucked into the TV. Yeah, he gets nanobotted into the TV, and then Veruca gets taken down the chute because she's a bad nut. And not a single human being comes for Uncle Joe for committing benefit fraud. No. <laughs> it really should, in all honesty. Mate, that family, man. That old fucker, man. Right, we've got off topic again. Let's get back to the topic at hand. Fuck me. We are really all over the place tonight. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I remember... I remember... So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that is going to be ridiculous now. I thought Sir Sweeney of Todd was a real person. No, and I, I, I thought the musical was based on a real person. I mean, I, to be fair, with London's history, it would not surprise me. I did some research. It turns out he wasn't a real person because no. they talk about like this myth of him being a real person in the history of London. And I think he's like he was an urban legend. Yes, but there were people that were similar to him. They mentioned there were like proto serial killers, and like he was like not a real character but they said that they were like people that were doing make like doing similar crimes and this was like 42 years before jack turned up um but yeah i always i always assumed when i was younger that sweeney todd was like a real person um and that the musical was based on a real person um which is weird but i mean to be fair i feel like as someone who grew up in england and the history of london as it is it wouldn't be that surprising if someone turned around and went, oh, you know, Sweeney Todd's based on a real person. I went, eh, that tracks, actually. Yeah, because you think, especially, like, in the 17 to 1800s, there was, like, a oh, lot of, like... Fuck, yeah. People were like, going missing and being murdered, like, every five fucking seconds. They still are in London, to be honest. Yeah, because, like, obviously there's a history of, like, the London dungeons, and, like, it was a very lawless time because of, like, poverty and, like... Um, plagues and famine and all that sort of shit. Like, you had the Black Plague go through, like, mm-hmm. London and stuff like that. So, yeah, I always assumed that he was a real person. So I kind of was, like, interested in that side of things as well. And then I found out that he wasn't a real person. And I was kind of a bit like, oh, okay, so Stephen Sondheim's just a fucking lunatic. <laughs> um, well, it's based on a, it's based on a Penny Dreadful, as we yeah. discussed. Yeah. And I think he heard it and went, and make an excellent musical. I think also Stephen Sondheim is uh, Andrew Larson's, not Andrew Jonathan Larson's Wario. Um, but yeah, like, what do you? So, did you have knowledge of the musical and the stage show and everything, or the story before seeing this, or was it purely a, I'm going to see this anyway because it's a Timmy B movie? So I was a theatre <coughs> kid. <coughs> uh, so I knew what Sweeney Todd was. I was already aware. I'd never seen. <coughs> But I was Excuse very me. much aware. It's a Sondheim musical. Like, any theatre kid worth their salt. Is it Sondheim or Sondheim? <sighs> I always want to say Sondheim. Have I been saying his name wrong this whole time? It might be Sondheim. I think it's Sondheim. 
I don't remember. I'm in a, I'm on, I'm on painkillers right now. I'm not a fucking yeah. <laughs> Anyway, carry on. Um, but yeah, so I was a theatre kid. So like, I spent my entire like fucking what would be in America. I don't know what we call it, secondary school, high yeah. school, depending on where you're from. Like hanging out in the theatre department with like the drama teacher. So that's how cool I was in school. <laughs> Hung out with my drama teacher. So, in terms of the musical stage show, mm-hmm. have you ever seen the stage no, show? No, I have not. Because I was going to ask you if there were any major differences between the film and the stage they show. They cut out a huge amount of songs. Mm-hmm. So, I think in total they cut out like 10 songs. Holy shit. Yeah. So it's it's very slimmed down. Very streamlined. Very streamlined. Yeah, they cut out like a lot of the reprises and stuff like that. And there's a couple of songs that are entirely missing. There's some that are just like there's fragments of them in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think plot wise, they didn't cut out that much, but they did cut out a lot of songs. They also made it far bloodier. The stage show isn't very gory. Yeah. See, that to me is always the interesting thing. I think it's really difficult when you transition. Um, a stage show to like a film because you do have to make those like artistic concessions Mm -hmm. because the film still has to make sense narratively for an audience that might not be familiar with it but also at the same time you have to make it a palatable length because like most musicals are what between two hours and in some cases three hours yeah um, you couldn't like because I think the closest one in terms of like maintaining most of what's in the stage show without having cut anything is Phantom of the Opera, right? Because Phan- there's only I think one <laughs> song cut yeah. from Phantom. Because Phantom of the Opera is still a two and a half hour long so, film. So they cut out. Here we go. Uh, the Ballad of Sweeney Todd and its many reprises. That's reprised a lot in the musical. Um, Armis. Uh, Joanna, Judge Turpin's version of Joanna, Kiss Me, Parlour Song, City on Fire, and the epilogue. Jesus. Um, all in so- all of the ensemble songs were cut. Mm-hmm. Um, most notably, God That's Good, God That's Good, God That's Good. Um, yeah. So the only ones that remain are Epiphany, Pretty Women, Joanna, Anthony's version. Worst Prize in London, Wait, My Friends, Joanna, Sweeney Anthony and the Beggar Woman version. And uh, My Friends has most a massive chunk of it cut. Yeah. And <coughs> yeah, that's it. And Pirelli songs in it as well. Pirelli's Elixir. Yeah, but I don't think that's, it's not like a, that's just like a reprise. It's not mm. a full length yeah, song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There so do you do you think that they cut them out? I see. I, I think timing wise is a big thing. Yeah. Things like that. And the thing that's annoying is because um, oh god, that's good is cut out. The title of the musical is never mentioned. Mm-hmm. So that is the song within it that is the like they say the name yeah, of yeah, the yeah. show. Every musical has one where they will reference the show, the name of the show. Oh good, oh oh god, that's good is the song when it is in Sweeney Todd, um, which they cut out. Um, but I think a lot of it was like timing wise. Yeah. And um, what's the word? Pace. 
Yeah, because part of me was like, maybe it was like Tim Burton as well. Tim Burton's like, I don't want to be choreographing like these motherfuckers to do like a 50-person fucking yeah. song and dance routine. Because Tim Burton traditionally isn't a... He likes to work with... He likes to have smaller... <clears throat> yeah, because I'm looking at... I'm looking at, in my mind's eye right now, I'm looking mm-hmm. at Tim Burton's filmography as I'm going through it in my head, and I'm like, I'm trying to think of films where he's got giant set pieces that have got lots of extras... Both of, his ba- Both of his Batman films do. Obviously. Big Fish does because it's got a lot of the circus performance. And then and there's the big funeral scene where they're all yeah. there. I would imagine Dumbo for the same reasons because Dumbo's set in a circus. I've not seen Dumbo. I haven't so seen I Dumbo say. though. But in terms of like that, you're right. There's never usually more than maybe sort of nine to ten people in a Tim Burton scene at any one time. Um, so yeah, I imagine kind of Maybe there was some trepidation on his part as well, having to. Try I think and... a lot of it with, the, with the adapting musicals is, especially when you want to make them more mainstream, mm-hmm. is you have to think about the pacing. And musicals are very long. Yeah. As a general rule, so they do generally have a habit of like, well, we don't really need this song. This is just the same song we've heard five times already from someone yeah. else's point of view. We don't need that. We don't need that. Um, I think there's very few musicals that get away with being completely intact when they're adapted. I assume, and this is an assumption based on the fact that they've chosen to split it into two movies. Wicked's going to be Wicked's going intact. to. I would hope so, because in Wicked, there's not really much you can cut out. And there's not a lot of reprises or unnecessary songs in Wicked. I also hope that they don't do the fucking bullshit thing of, we've got two movies, let's write new songs. Or let's add extra scenes in to pad the two movies oh, out. Oh, they fucking will. You know they will. Because I, I, we had this conversation. They might do, because don't forget as well, though, it is adapted from the book. And they had to cut, I think, if I remember correctly, they had to cut quite a few bits from the book mm-hmm. for the musical. Because it would have been too long. So yeah. they might add things back in that were cut when they had to arrange a musical. Yeah. Which I would be okay with. I've never read the book, but I would be okay with them returning to the source material to add extra stuff back in mm-hmm. but i don't want them they're going to do that to make up shit just to like pad out time also saying that we had because it came out the same year as this mm-hmm. we saw mamma mia we did. and mamma mia the film and the stage show are basically identical they're not very mamma mia even as a stage show though isn't very long yeah but the film and the that that's one of those ones where they basically just grafted the film mm. like or grafted the stage show onto the film. Like, there's not a lot cut Did out of that. Did they cut any songs out? I don't think now. I don't think so. Because I, I don't... Re- if they did, I don't remember them cutting out. Because I've seen the film quite a few times. And I remember everything in the stage show being in the film. Or everything from the film being in the stage show. Whichever way you want to look at it. But I remember them being quite faithful to each other. I think they are. And, like, I think this is the reason why they'll never make Hamilton. I think this is the reason why they filmed Hamilton and have put it on Disney Plus and labelled it a film, because I don't think they'll ever try and make Hamilton into a film. But then I could be wrong, because money talks. At some point, they might do it. That is very true, <laughs> actually. Money does talk. They might make it. Um... So they did cut songs from um, Mamma Mia. Oh, really? I don't remember yeah. that. Um, apparently, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do mm-hmm. was cut. Oh. I think that's the only one. 
Um, I don't know. Um, one of us as well has been cut or amended. So let's talk about Sweeney Todd. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Tim Burton, musical director. How yeah. does, how do you think Tim Burton does making this movie? I mean, it's a fucking Tim Burton film, isn't it? Like Tim Burton literally went, "Oh, I'm gonna make Sweeney Todd." Uh, it, it's the Tim Burton edition. But the one thing that I think, I don't think the musical performances in this movie, and I don't know if it's because it's a dour subject matter and it's meant to be a dour film. Mm. I think the musical numbers in this film lack energy. Yeah, but they're not, I don't think they're ever supposed to be because you are right, it's quite a dour subject matter. Yeah, like, so if you look at like a film... Like, this is the only musical, really, I feel like I could compare it to. Is it Limits? No. If you look at Repo, yeah, which kind of deals with, I don't want to say similar subject matter, but it deals in kind of like Death and that sort of, sort of grey area. Yeah. Um, I think Repo is a really dark film, and it's got a very dark subject matter. But I feel like every... No, like, I'm going to try and explain this the best I can. Every song in Repo the Genetic Opera feels unique. It feels lived in. And every set piece where there is a song is memorable. But the thing with Repo that this movie is missing, and I, I, I was going to use um, Le Mis as a similar example, actually, because that's also quite a dark and gritty musical, is they kept the ensemble. Yeah. So Repo uses <coughs> the ensemble quite regularly. Yeah. To like fill out the songs, make them bigger, more lively. Whereas, and same with um, Le Mis, like you look at, um, I can't, I can't tell you any songs from Le Mis because like, I don't particularly like it. No, because that's a single, that's a solo. Okay. Um, the Barricade song where yeah. they're all like, there's a lot of songs that use <clears throat> big ensemble pieces to really build the music yeah. and make them seem bigger and larger than life. Because Sweeney Todd cut out basically all of the ensemble pieces, I think the most people you have singing one song at any point is three. Yeah. Which is when it's Lucy, Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney. <clears throat> is it Lucy, Mrs. No, it's Lucy Anthony and Mrs. Yeah. Um, Mrs. And, Mrs. Lovett. No, it's not Mrs. Lovett, it's Sweeney. Yeah. Um, because you cut out of the ensemble pieces, you don't get that big build. Yeah. A lot of musicals have. <coughs> you look at the opening to Wicked as a great example of... Um, Popular. No, that's... No. The no, opening exactly. to um, Wicked is No One Mourns the Wicked. Yes. And it's that big... It really yeah, yeah, yeah. comes in, it starts very quiet, and then there's the big belt of the entire ensemble cast singing No One Mourns mm -hmm. the Wicked. It's the first time we're <coughs> introduced to Glinda. And that's a huge song, but if you cut that out and you turn that into a single person singing it or just cut the song entirely, you lose so much energy immediately because you don't have that big build-up of, like, 30 people yeah. singing a song. Um, I think this movie really does suffer from cutting the ensemble out, I also personally. I also think for a musical, all the songs lack identity, and that was kind of the point I was trying to make, was... Every musical scene is lit the same, coloured the same. Mm -hmm. Like, but also, like, Joanna sounds like Pretty Women. Like, sounds like the song that fucking Anthony sings when he's talking about being outside a window. They're all sung in yeah, a similar Joanna. key. They're all sung in a similar key with similar, like, um thing is, is I feel like Joanna <coughs> and Pretty Woman are supposed to sound similar. Yeah. 
and I, I feel like that is on purpose. Um, but like you, this song that Toby and uh, Mrs. Lovett sing, mm-hmm. um, the not like nobody's gonna harm you song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one's gonna hurt you. Not while I'm around. I, I think it's called No One's Gonna yeah. Hurt You. Has again, it's a very similar tone. It's a very sing- sim- similar key to Joanna. Yeah. And Pretty Women. The only two songs to me that really stand out in this film are the Arrival song, mm-hmm. where he's like. The world is great big pit, it's full of shit. It's filled with there. people who are pill filled with shit. London, yeah. London, fucking London, London Gator. Fucking London, bro. Ree, 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 ree. <laughs> yeah. which, which would 100% be a grime song now. Oh, yeah, I like, But that and the Elixir song that uh, Sasha Baron Cohen sings, yeah. they're the only two songs I that are stylistically different to the others. The only other song that kind of always sticks out for me in this musical is the um worst pies in london yeah which is the the introduction song for mrs lovett and yeah. um, just because of this a the subject matter and then the reprise mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure there's a reprise later on as <coughs> well yeah i think she sings it when the boys eat the pies yeah i think like that sticks out and then the closing song which is um I want to say a reprise of Pretty Women, but my brain mm. is not. Joe, the song him and yeah, Mrs. Yeah, Lovett yeah. are singing as they're dancing around yeah, the boiler room. Yeah, the life, the life song. Yeah, like that's that. My my brain is started to just go nah. Um, like that sticks out for me. Uh, but yeah, you are right. It is very a lot of the songs are very similar tonally, and because because it's a Tim Burton film. Mm-hmm. And it uses a timber and colour palette. There is very little to like. There's scenes in this film that stick out for me, but mostly just because of the fact that it looks more lively. So like the scene with Lucy Ben and who the fuck is Ben? Joe, Benjamin. It's, it's, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like, fucking Sweetie Todd's real name. Who the fuck is my man Ben? Ben. Like the scene with them at the market at the yeah. beginning, when you find out about Lucy. And then the scene with him, Mrs. Lover, and Toby when they go to the well, sea side weird, like, and they sequence. get married, yeah, yeah, yeah. and she's like fantasizing about their life together. Like that sticks out, but those two scenes stick out to me because they are very bright. Yeah, and they're and that's... very colourful and they stand out quite aggressively yeah. against the rest of the film. And that's the colour palette that he uses in Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar yes. Children. Yeah, because the real world's quite dark, isn't it? And then Miss Peregrine's home is very colourful. Yeah. It's the same with Sweeney Todd, um, Sweeney Todd with um, Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. It's a very similar colour palette with splashes of colour. And we used to, you said this while we were watching it, a great, a, a better idea of this film would have been have had the film in black and white yeah. and then had the flashbacks. Same same thing, you'll have the flashbacks of Mrs. Lovett's Dream in colour, but then just have the blood yeah. in red. A, I think in, it would have been a far more interesting look to the film, like to just have the splashes of colour randomly. But also I think it would have made the film stand out slightly yeah. more because it feels, looks, and is coloured like basically every other fucking Tim Burton movie. It's also the same thing, interestingly, that you mentioned it, that um, Alex Proyas does with The Crow. Because Alex Proyas wanted to film The Crow in, in black, black and white, white and then all the flashbacks. So he, he drains as much colour out of the normal scenes as possible. And then when you see all the flashbacks to like Eric They're and Shelley. Yeah, like everything's red and yellow and like blah, blah, blah. 
So, yeah, yeah it's a kind of a similar yeah. sort of thing. Uh, but the thing is, I feel like this wasn't the studio going, no, you can't do that. And more just Tim Burton being like, we will make it dark. Tim Burton's like, I am an artiste. I'm an artiste. It will be dark. Um, but yeah, so that's my that's my main gripe with the film as a musical. And I wonder personally if it's like a Sondheim thing, because like he didn't write the music for not. West Side Story. He, didn't he wrote write the, music the lyrics for this either. And he wrote the lyrics for this, but I, I think he wrote both for Into the Woods. And from what I remember, the songs in Into the Woods all sound very similar as well. The songs in Into the Woods, Agony. I don't know if you remember Agony. It's the one Chris Pine sings with his yeah. brother where they're like across the waterfall, like falling to their knees. Absolutely magnificent song. I quite, I know you don't rate Into the Woods. I don't rate Into the Woods as a film. I really like the music from Into the Woods. Though. All I'm saying is Rob Marshall, who directed Into the Woods, made Chicago, mm-hmm. the one with Reddy Zellweger also and great. Catherine Zeta-Jones in it. He made Memoirs of a Geisha. Also great. And he made the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Also great. The one, no, no, no. No, no, no. no oh, no, wait, is it the fourth one, he, the really bad one? He made the it? one with Ian McShane as Blackbeard, with the mermaids in it, oh, that no one yeah, remembers. No, yeah. And he's doing the new Little Mermaid. Yeah. And I, that's mean, I what, really love Memoirs of, the Geisha, of a Geisha. Yeah, so. but I'm just thinking, like, his musical career. Like, Not great. Chicago... I've never seen. Chicago's but really good. Into the Woods, I fucking hated. I thought Into the Woods was absolute dog toilet. But to be fair, it doesn't help that one of the main characters in that film is James Corden. You can't fucking stand James Corden. I think James Corden, like... I will give the devil his due. I think James Corden has a decent voice. And when he's put in films, I think people use him appropriately. Because I think he, as a person has enough self-awareness to know that people think that he is a smug prick. So he kind of leans into it when he's in films. Because, yeah. like, but then sometimes, like, he is in the prom, he goes a little bit too far. We don't talk about the fact that but, he's in that film. But I think... In, we don't talk about that film. I fact. think in Into the Woods, it was before he got massive, and I think it was before people got sick of him. So he was on the verge of, like, becoming... The fucking narcissistic prick that everyone thinks he is now, but he's not the problem with that film. The entire film is the problem with that. Film. Okay, fine. <laughs> but yeah, so like I'm kind, of, I'm kind of a bit like on the. But yeah, so that would be as a musical. That would be my main argument with this film. Is I feel like you can tell the Sweeney Todd story without the songs. If you lose the songs from this film, you don't really lose anything. Like the movie functions per- would function perfectly fine without the songs because to me the songs are really unmemorable and the sequences the of musical. The problem with that is that this film is very fucking depressing with music. If you take that music away, this film is just a it's a ball of depression rolled into a movie. This then. film is a Morrissey song of a film. Yes. It is a Smith song in the movie format. If you take the music out of this, it's a Smith song. Mate, you literally could have a scene of this where there's a geezer running down the road going, Panic on the streets of London. <laughs> okay, well, they just all burst into a Smith song. Someone starts singing, There's a light that never goes out. <laughs> there's a light. How's that one go? Oh, there's a light. That, no. Is that, the, is that the double decker bus? Yeah, one? and yeah, it's yeah. a double decker bus. Crashes into us. Is a hashtag fuck Morrissey is a prick. I love the Smiths. I don't like Morrissey. I love the Smiths. Um, 
Side note, everybody, again. <clears throat> but outside of the music side of it, how do you think this movie works as a horror movie? I think the horror element of the it. The horror element of this is film is great. As fuck. And Sweeney Todd, Johnny Depp Sweeney Todd is a great anti Nah, 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 man. This dude is a straight up villain. The thing is, is it's one of those weird grey zones for me. Because Judge Chirpin is obviously a villain. Yeah. Beadle is obviously a yeah. villain. And then you have kind of Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd, who were kind of in that morally ambiguous grey section. <coughs> because I get it, but also you're murdering people who don't need to die. Yeah. Like, I get the revenge and I get the idea of like he's lost his he's gone he's gone insane with grief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweeney Todd. So I kind of get it. And then there's Mrs. Lovett, who to be honest, you kind of like ah, ah, for a good chunk of this movie. And then you kind of the ending hits and you're like, Oh no, so, Mrs. No, Mrs. Lovett. I no. think motivationally there are two things with Sweeney Todd that kind of piss me off about this movie. Yes. One is the movie his killing spree starts with him killing Pirelli. Yes. Which is someone that slighted him. So well, if, he tries to blackmail him. Yeah, so he, he slighted him. So if if the movie was basically, if he had like a list and he was checking it twice and he was just bumping off people that were like associated. find out if they're not your nice. But like if he was bumping off people that were associated well, with Well, we Turpin, don't know. Like, but like we that's We don't what I mean. really know because it never really addresses of like all the people yeah. he is actually killing. Uh, but his aim is to to kill yeah Turpin and Beale. I think Beale, if I think like, if they kind of just went like you know he's trying to kill people to get to Turpin, like the movie never makes that clear. It makes it seem like just random people are coming off the streets oh, the and thing, he's just like murdering them. Yeah, and that's well, that's the on thing the movie is, as well. Is you look at the people he kills as well. They're all obviously quite well to do. Yeah, oh, you don't really ever see him kill anyone who seems to be like. Of a yeah. poorer set. Because like, if, if it was like, if he was like murdering people that were like, so, you know, if he, if, he were, if he was murdering people that were there on the night the incident happened with his wife and did nothing to help her, you're like, I understand this. I understand why my man is angry. I understand what he's doing. But like the movie never makes it clear outside of when he kills Beadle the Bard or whatever his fucking name is. Um, Alan Rickman's character, Turpin, and fucking... At Pirelli, mm. outside of those three, I have no fucking clue who these other people are that he's killing, and why he suddenly becomes like a serial killer. And like, and the thing is as well, this is this leads me to the second part of like my motivational thing that he's got with his motivation. He's doing it because him and Mrs. Lovett are kind of running the pie business together. And there's that scene where the the restaurant is full of people, and he looks down and he's kind of like smiling. He's got that loving look on his face, like. I'm really happy to see that she's doing well. No. And it's like, is he is he is he helping no. her out okay. of gratitude so, no. or is he falling in love with her? Like no. what is the situation? The thing is, is I feel like in that scene he doesn't start smiling until a customer starts walking up the stairs. Yeah. He's not. That one scene, because you can see Mrs. Lovett flouncing around underneath and she's very happy. And he's pacing <sighs> like a cage tiger. Yeah. He's waiting for somebody to kill. <laughs> so I don't think at any point it's that he's in love with Mrs. Lovett yeah. or is like he's doing, doing it, it for her. Yeah. He's doing it for himself, but her pie business doing well entices people to the pie shop, which entices people up to the barbershop. Yeah. So it works for him. Yeah. Um, 
But in answer to your question of to why he kills all the people, apparently he vows to kill as many people as he can while waiting, waiting for another chance to kill Turpin. He will punish the wicked and putting everyone else out of their misery. Right. There we go. So, they're all wicked, I guess? Yeah, that kind of does track. I mean, that lends more credence because this movie doesn't really give him motivation. It's like, he killed that one dude and then he just starts killing dudes and you're like, okay, I get it. He wants to kill fucking Alan Rickman because Alan Rickman is once again playing character number 47 of man who's trying to fuck someone who he shouldn't be trying to fuck. But... Slash has fucked someone he shouldn't be fucking. Yeah. Alan Rickman, man. What? There was like a period where like people were like, Alan Rickman must play a sex pest. Because, like, in Love Actually, he's kind of a sex pest. I mean, although, not to justify his actions in Love Actually, but I'm never sure if he's the pursuer or the pursued. And he's just, both. He's just flattered. That's why he has the affair. Because don't, you don't ever really see him chasing her as much as... I mean, he's still a dick. He's still It's still a dickish thing that he does. Um, Sheriff of Nottingham in Robin Hood. This. Harry Potter. He's like, I'm a shag my man James's wife. And then when it doesn't work out, I'm just going to be sad. Try and fucking kill a kid. No. Um, anyway, that's enough Harry Potter shit on this episode. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm, hey! so, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. I had I had a human pie before we started this. <sighs> oh, that... I'm really glad. Cause we went out earlier today. We went to the pie shop. I was really tempted to have pie. And like now this evening is here. I'm really glad we did not have pie earlier. Oh man, that street sweeper and sausage pie has gone down a tree. <laughs> it's a little bit dusty. Um, but yeah, what do you think of the performances in this movie? I I mean, I'm never, ever, ever going to complain about Helena Bonham Carter performance in anything. I love her. I think she's absolutely perfect. Yes. She has the face of a woman who would definitely be a little bit insane. And I like that about her. She has the face of an angel. Um... She was in that show we watched Shady recently as well, wasn't she? She played herself in that fucking film agency show we watched. Oh, 10%. She yeah. did indeed. Which is really funny. It's really funny because everybody assumes Helen the Bottom Car is just a regular person in real life. She's not. She is one of her characters in real life. Oh, yeah, she's partially insane. Like, I fucking love her. Half the time, I'm not even sure they have she's a acting. wardrobe department. No, for she her. just brings her own clothes from yeah. home. Um, I think Jamie Campbell Bow for his first ever film did really well. I like his character. Get off his Vecnessy. Never. Um, I really like the kid who plays Toby. This is like one of three things he appears in. Yeah. Uh, but I really like him. I think he's freaking adorable. Um, obviously, I'm never going to complain about Alan Rickman in anything. Big, big Al. Big Al. He, he was a gift. Uh, Timothy Spall is a creepy dude with ratty hair. Like, everything. I'm really, really sorry to say this because he is kind of a national treasure and he has been in a lot of, like, UK-based stuff. He just has the face of a man who should permanently be on a register. I mean, fair. He normally plays characters as well who should probably be on a register. Um, And then to to hit the the, the main casting um of Sweeney Todd as, as... Of Johnny Depp as Sweeney Todd, not Sweeney Todd as Thomas Johnny Depp. That makes no sense. Um, I think he's great in this. I think he is really, really good. And he really gives credence to the character. Like, he is very believable as Sweeney Todd. Aren't you forgetting someone? 
Mrs. Lovett. Um, no. No, I'm not. Oh, you want to talk about, do you want me to talk about Pirelli? Yeah, Sasha Baron Cohen's <laughs> a fucking revelation in this movie. He is very He's good. so, his performance is so slept on in this film. Like, for the very short period of time he's in it. Yeah, but he's great. But I think my problem with Sasha Baron Cohen, like Sasha Baron Cohen and most things, is he plays a Sasha Baron Cohen character. Like, he is the most out of place character in this film. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They don't yeah, yeah, yeah. He is so out of place in contention with the rest of the characters in this movie because he is playing a Sasha Baron Cohen character. Yeah, I do think I do think it's interesting seeing him in like a more serious. Yeah, I, mean, I feel the same way about him in The Miz as well. Though I feel yeah, like I've he's very out of place. He's married to Helena Bonham Carter in that film. Another fucking weird separation moment. It's um, it's also nice to see him. Mm. Um, because a lot of his movies you don't see him. It's like Borat or Bruno, or he's under some fucking form of disguise or something. It's Ali G. So it's nice to see him actually in a role, not nearly being killed. Mm. <laughs> um, and I think he's really good in this. I didn't. I you probably read the same thing I did. I think it's fucking mental though that he sung the whole of Fiddler on the Roof for his audition. And I'm like, and uh, Helena Bonham Carter sent in 12 audition tapes. Yeah, to Sondheim. Because she didn't want to be like a nepotism hire. Although Tim Burton was like, I have to have Tim, uh, I have to have my wife Johnny Depp. No, he, he was like, no, no, he's have... like, I have to have my wife because I've casted Johnny Depp as the male lead and how else am I supposed to get off? Yeah. Because Matt had some weird obsession with his wife kissing Johnny Depp. I mean, Tim, Tim the cuck Burton. Yeah, I bet, I bet. You know, Alan, like, was constantly just like, I'm really sorry, Johnny Bates. Do you know, we have to make out yet again. They never lived in the same house all the time. They, they did married, not. Did they? they lived next door to each other. Which I think is fucking hilarious. I think it's fucking genius. If we could afford to do that, babe, I would do that. It's fucking genius. It's like, um... Just knock a door through between the two houses. I think that's what they did, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. It's fucking... If, like, if we had the money... I would do that because you have your own space. It's like um, Brad Falchuk, the guy who co-created Glee with Ryan Murphy. Who also did Hannibal? No, that's Brian Fuller. Brian Falchuk does a lot of stuff with Ryan Murphy. Him and old Steamy Candle Vagina are married and they don't live together. I think it's a smart choice, you know. I think it's weird, though. It's like, it's like, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Are you like, telling me that if we could afford to, you wouldn't live, want to live next door to each other? No, because what the fuck would I use a whole house for? Your own space? Yeah, but like I have a room in our house that I use for my own space. I mean, we just get a bigger house, to be fair. Yeah, I mean... Because I just... my room kind of sucks, because I have a room, but it's kind of an office. It's not really my, my just, own space, is it? It just seems like a lot. I like the idea of it. I think it's a really fucking smart idea. Personally. And also, when they got divorced, they still have to be neighbours. I don't think they do. I think one. I think one of them moved out. I feel like it was probably Helena. I feel like it was probably Tim. Do you think? Do you, would you want if she went? I'm staying. Do you really want to argue with Helena on guard? I'd be man. like, yes, mum. Whatever you say. I don't know. Tim. Tim's like. Tim's like. Who the fuck's gonna cast her now? I'm not making. I'm not putting her in my movies. It will always work. Just really funny is because I just said it. Then I was like, yes, ma'am. Um, in America, do you know they did that show with fucking Rob Stark where he played like the assistant to like a 
prime minister or something. That was over here. That was a BBC show. I know. I know. But he got aired in America and obviously he calls her mum for a lot of the film. A lot of Americans thought he was calling her mum and they were very confused when they started having sex. <laughs> they were like, mummy? Question mark. <laughs> Question mark. So they all thought it was her son who was working for her and they were like, wait, what? Indubitably. There was like news articles. No, not him, Rob Stark. No, I know. I know. Not, not John Slay. Indubitably. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot of confusion. <coughs> Americans. <laughs> Sorry. Just made me think of the news article I read about it. I mean, like, literally brightened my day when that can, happened. Can you imagine the irreparable damage that Kit Harrington and fucking Richard Madden have done to the English, like, public image in America? Like, Americans see those two fucking white bread, dumb as shit, goofy looking dudes. And they're like, I am never going to fuck a British dude again. Are you kidding me? Everybody, like the amount of people who I know who are American who are like, oh, no, English dudes are so hot. And I'm like, well, they're not. The idea you have in your head of what an English dude is like, no. There's no what Englishmen are like. Yeah. Everyone comes over here thinking it's like a fucking ocean filled with Tom Hardy's and Henry Cavill's. And I'm like, yeah, they're all like, oh, I've seen her, like. Tom Hiddleston, Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Hardy. And I'm like, no. And I'm like, oh god, no. Like that. I'm like, mm. I'm like, you are coming over here and you are finding yourself a sea of Danny Dyers. <laughs> if you are lucky. If you're lucky. Like Danny Dyers pretty top ring for the level of uh, attractiveness we have in England. I mean, Danny Dyers. Danny not... Dyers actually quite a good looking bloke. He's actually. not an unattractive dude. I just think that like you are more likely to find. You're more likely to a find Danny an Dyer. Austin Powers yeah. than you are. You're you're more likely to find. I mean, if you're super into Austin Powers, then I mean, all most, power to you. You're, you're gonna find some crooked. You're more likely over. to find a man who looks like James Corden, Phil Mitchell, or Ian Bill. That most people don't know who Phil Mitchell or Ian Bill are, babe. Just saying. I can't think of any like unattractive British actors to use as like a standard. Yeah, because everybody's like, oh, I'm gonna go find a David Tennant. Or a Henry Cavill, or a Tom wish, Hardy, man. or an Idris. Yeah, they are few and far between. Or in some person's case, a Joe Alwyn. Shout out TS. Like, oh, we have this partner. Because everybody thinks, oh yes, like because they're like, oh yeah, you guys have got Tom Hiddleston. He rides the tube. He's one of us. You've got the sentient otter himself, Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm like, yeah. I was like. We also have Timothy Small. Yeah. Not everyone looks like Harold fucking Styles. <laughs> Not everyone looks like Gary Fashion guys. Yeah. There are some ugly ass people in this country. And the thing is as well, Kit Har- like Richard Madden, just like I won't I won't say too much about Richard Madden because he is just a really average looking dude who looks like he's constantly shit himself. He just has that look on his face all the time. And it's part of the reason why the Eternal sucks, because he's fucking boring. Yeah, you don't like Richard Madden. But Continue. Kit Harrington is not only an unattractive man, whoa, but he, he's, whoa, he's, whoa. he's also looks dumb as shit. What? Don't come for Kit Harrington. Indubitably. Indubitably. He also Don't just looks... Don't come for Kit Harrington. He just also looks dumb as fuck. No. I will accept Richard Madden slander, because I'm not fussed. Do not come for Kit Harrington. And I don't think any of us have quite figured out what the fuck Matt Smith is. He, he... Oh no, don't start on Matt Smith. Matt... That's just fucking rude. Do you know what? Matt Smith looks like... That, he is also the too many... Too, his limbs are too long for his body, man. Um, but I would sleep with that one. So you know you, you know in The Fly, 
You yeah. know when they put Jeff Goldblum in the thing with the... No, babe, because I haven't seen it and I never will. Okay. So they put Jeff Goldblum in a transporter, the fly gets in there and their DNA gets crossed and that's why he becomes the Buzz Buzz Man. That looks like the same thing happened to Matt Smith, but instead of it being a fly, it was a fucking Siamese cat. It was a giraffe. <laughs> he looks like he looks like some fucking cat-man hybrid. I like Matt Smith. I, I'm not taking no no bad bad words about Although, him. I don't understand what Marvel's hard on with English actors is. They just seem to be scooping them up left, right, centre. Scooping them up. Like, we'll take yeah. this one. They're like, we'll, we'll take that they, one. There's three of the fuckers in the Eternals. There is. The two Stark brothers. They've also got and two Harold. British Toms. Yeah. Old Betty Boy. Old Bendy Dick Carbaps. Yeah. Uh, or what was no. I calling him really recently? Benadryl Cook Cucumber. Uh, one English actress. Because they got Florence oh, Pugh. Ah, two. Karen Gillan as well. Three, because they got Gemma Chan as well. Because ah. Gemma Chan's in like two of those movies. And technically, the biggest one of all that we both forgot... Fucking Hayley Atwell. Because she plays Atwell. Captain Carter. And uh, Natalie Dormer's in uh, the Yeah, Natalie Dormer's in it. Anyway, it's a Benedict Wong English. Yes. So two Bens. He's from... Two Toms. He's from fucking Manchester, isn't he? Yeah. Like, my brain was just like that. I was like, why well, Benedict Wong is fucking English? I often forget because my kids in my brain, he is Wong. And he is very good is at an American accent. Um, Lapita Nyong'o English. Or is she American? I think she's American. I always thought she was English. I wish she was English. And um, what's her face is English as well. Um, the girl who plays Shuri, I can't think of her name off the top of my head. Oh, fuck, yeah, she is, isn't she? And Daniel Kaluuya was Daniel in Kaluuya Black Panther as well. Black he's, he's British. And uh, Andy Serkis and um, um, the guy who plays Everett Ross, uh, the guy from The Hobbit who played young Bilbo. Yeah, no. He was in The Office. Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. Yeah. And Vision! Yeah, Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany's English. Paul Bettany's Sorry, English. I don't know how we got... Anyway, enough about Marvel, enough about Harry Potter. Like, so, we really got yeah, so tonight. Sweeney Todd, I think the performances in this movie, given the material, are excellent. Like, Johnny Depp, for all of his faults or non-faults as a human being, is always a tour de force of acting. Mm-hmm. Like, And I think, to be honest, this is the last movie of his and of Tim Burton's that I actually gave a shit about. Because I've not... Get? Yeah, I've not seen anything really past this that I enjoyed Johnny Depp in. I'm now unsure. I'll um, get back to but, that, guys. But I am. It is definitely the last Tim Burton movie that I gave a fuck about. I'm gonna have a quick because I didn't see Alice in Wonderland or Dark. Sh- I saw Alice in Wonderland. I didn't see Dark Shadows, and he's in both of those. Um, but so what was it 2007? Yeah. Or eight. I don't know, actually. Maybe the last Pirates movie, but I think that's just because it's a Pirates movie, and I was like, I, I like these movies. But for me, this was the last... Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, but that's not really a Johnny Depp. That's an ensemble. The like... last Pirates, the Caribbean movie, the first Fantastic Beasts movie. Yeah, he's in that for two seconds. Like... Okay. Like, I'm talking about movies that he's the lead actor in. Like fucking transcendence, where he becomes a fucking USB or something. Um, On Stranger Tides also came out after this. Yeah, that's the one we don't talk about, like with the mermaids and the blackbeard. Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus came out after this. Oh, it's a great film. Um, Although I will say, actually, yeah, I think you could be right. Apart from that one, um, Dior Sauvage advert. Yeah, Um, but I think like, and this is the last time I think. I don't want to say it, but like 
This he is the last time he, yeah. he gave a shit. Because <laughs> mm. a lot of his career in the last decade, I mean, obviously we won't, we won't, we're not here to talk about the problems that he's had in his personal life no. because that's not for us to talk about. And that's not for us to say. Um, people have feelings on it and they're not wrong and they're not right, whichever way they feel about it. But I think this is the last time that he really gave a shit because I think after this, he kind of got into that Jack Sparrow role of just playing like... You see his performance in Alice in Wonderland and he's just playing a weird character. Yeah, like, see, the Alice in Wonderland thing, I think, really is what started to kind of ruin Johnny Depp for me. Because for anyone who doesn't know, I'm a huge Alice in Wonderland fan. My first tattoo I ever got when I turned 18 and my mum paid for it, I had Curious and Uncurious tattooed on me. Like, I was a Alice in Wonderland girl. <laughs> Still am to this day. And his portrayal of the Mad Hatter is what really started to ruin Johnny Depp for me. Yeah. I, I liked Tim Burton. I used to adore Johnny Depp. Um, but that film ruined one of my favourite books. Yeah. And he becomes... He kind of became the whole... He he kind of did what Mike Myers did. And he became the weird, like, I'm playing it. Look how zany I am. Because you think about like things like Mordecai, where he plays the, like... I've never seen it, but I've seen the trailer where he plays like he's got the tash. And he's like, oh, I'm a character. And like the same thing with like, I've never seen Dark Shadows, but I've seen the trailer of him playing Barnabas Collins. And I'm just like, the fuck is this? And he, it's at the point where he stopped becoming, he stopped being an actor and he, all of his characters just got filtered through the prism the, of the, like the, 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 uh, the Jack Sparrow, Jack Sparrow film. Film, and it's yeah. the same as like Mike Myers Mike Myers just started filtering all of his characters through that like one brand of like humour um, but I think he's fucking great in this I think this is the last Tim Burton movie where Tim Burton looks like he's giving a shit as well or yeah. feels like he's giving a shit um, I think the performances in this movie are very very solid Alan Rickman is one of the greatest actors this country has ever produced and even in a role that doesn't really give him a lot to do in this, he makes the fucking most of it. Like, every time he's on screen... Your you're eyes just like, are drawn to him. Like, this motherfucker is unsettling this as This scene... The scene that always sticks from, with me for, for him as a character in this is the scene when he um, is talking to Anthony. Anthony. Yeah. In, like, when he's sat in, like, he like, comes in, he draws him a drink, and he's like, oh, take a seat. Like, a... So charming and nice, and then literally turns. And that, for me, is, like, the scene that really makes Alan Rickman in this film. I think he's very, very good. Um, but he's great. I mean, his entire performance in this is fantastic. I, I'm never going to say a bad word against Alan Rickman. I think he is, like, a top-level actor. What about his singing voice? Yeah, like, I can't even ditch on his singing voice, like... He sounds, he sounds better than a lot of actors that have been put in musicals. Like, he's not even in like my top twenty worst, which is relatively easy actually, because you just have to look at Mamma Mia, and there's a massive chunk of them. Wow, <laughs> fuck me. I'm sorry. Do you think that any of the men, specifically the men as well in the Mamma Mia film, could actually sing? Pierce Brosnan. No. Pierce Brosnan is the best of the bunch. He's the best of the bunch, but he's still poor. Um, Dominic Cooper's all right. Oh, Dominic Cooper's all right. I meant like the dad. Another British guy who's in the MCU. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, I think Alan Rickman is very good in this. I will, I will give him all the praise. And how do you think it works as an adaptation? Um, I haven't seen the original source material, so I can't really say. Um, but in terms of bringing a musical to the screen and making a palatable for a mainstream audience, I think it is pretty. Hmm, it's pretty low on my list of musical adaptations. <laughs> I think probably one of the only films that ranks any lower on this of ones I've seen was In the Heights. In the Heights is garbage. Because like. um, that. Oh, Fuck, I have a lot of feelings about In the Heights adaptation. I know it is beloved by a massive chunk of people, but I really don't think they did justice to the adaptation at all. Do you not think the man who has the first G.I., the second G.I. Joe movie, Justin Bieber, the two Justin Bieber films, Mm. In the Heights and Crazy Rich Asians on his CV should be anywhere near Wicked? No. No. Oh, do you know the other movie he did? Gem and the Holograms. Oh, fuck. He needs to take it out back in the shop, man. <laughs> he really does. That movie was truly, truly, truly outrageous. Truly outrageous. Fucking don't. That Gem and the Holograms movie, it broke something in me. And it the, really did. And they're letting it do Wicked. I know, don't. Two Wicked movies. Don't. Don't. Someone get Kenny Ortega on the phone. <laughs> Someone call Kenny quick. <laughs> King Kenny. King Kenny, can you come and help? Please. He's going to ruin a magnificent musical. Uncle Kenny. <laughs> we need to see Wicked again at some point. Yes. Um, the list. Yeah, so I I don't think that this... I, I think this is a really good film. I've never seen the stage show. I've never wanted to because I feel like this movie gave me everything that I needed to. There are some. There are some films. I don't think it's still running. I don't even running for a very long time. Yeah, but there are some films where you watch the film version and you're like, I want to see the musical because I want to see it like in its original form. Mm. But I think this is one of those ones where it's like, if I never saw the musical, I would be happy. I feel like at some point we will see it, but I also feel the same way about Phantom of the Opera. I'm like, um, what's his name? Who's the guy who directed it? The guy who made Lost Boys, who's no longer with us. Joel Schumacher. Joel Joel Schumacher's version of Phantom of the Opera, I think, is exquisite. I think as a film adaptation of a stage show, adaptations don't get any better than that. But in turn, I don't now want to... It doesn't. It didn't make me want to see the stage show. I really want to see the stage show. Because I got enough from the film version. And I feel like this is the same. I feel like I haven't seen this movie probably since it came out. But watching it again, I was like, this movie's... Sorry, I'm seeing... I'm keeping... I'm seeing Family Opera myself. This movie's way shorter than I remember it being. Then two hours. Yeah, but it felt... It It feels feels a lot quicker. Like, it feels like a lot happens in a short period of time. But yeah, I think think it's a great film. I think it's... I don't think it's a particularly good musical. I do think it's a particularly good horror movie. And I do love the fact that it inspired the story of this film and this musical inspired an actual barber in the area where we live yes yes um, because we have a fleet street in portsmouth um and there is a barber shop uh, i think it's called dave's and it's he's dave like, the demon barber yeah, of, isn't it? of yeah. actual fleet street and his barber shop is sick it is it's got a like, lot of horror he, movie yeah he's got right like it. a fucking life-size terminator in the shop he's got like, i keep meaning to go get my hair cut there he's got like a bunch point. of marvel posters Slightly everywhere nervous. Yeah, it's really it's a really cool shop. Um, shout out if you're ever in Portsmouth and you need a fresh cut, go see Dave. He will hook you up. We cannot promise he will not turn you into a pie. Um, but yeah, I I just I just think this movie works on a lot of levels, and I can't imagine what a newer version of this would look like, what an updated version of it would look like. Um, 
And I think if this is the only film adaptation like they make of it of on this scale, there's not like a TV version or like something like that. I think it's pretty good. I mean, Sondheim signed off on it, so yeah. what rating are you giving it? Uh, probably a three point five. The songs don't work, and I don't think the musical aspect of it works for me like it did when I first saw it. And I don't think that element of it holds up. Everything else fucking rules. Um, I think I actually agree with you on that. I think three point five is a rare rate. Uh, uh, uh... A fair rating. Jesus fucking Christ. I do think this movie is going to have a giant reprisal now, though. Now that people have discovered Jamie Campbell Bower oh God, through yeah. um, Stranger Things, Stranger Things I do scene. think like a lot of people will go back and watch this and it will have a whole resurgence. resurgence um, One can only hope. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's good, man. I think it's a good film. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, you are right. It doesn't work as a musical. I think them cutting songs and taking out the ensemble did quite a lot of damage. Yeah. Um, I think it could have done with being stylistically different. Yeah. Um, I think it suffers from the fact that it looks like every other Tom, Tom Burton. <laughs> Tom, Tim Tom Burton, Burton film set in this time period. Yeah. And other films that aren't even, because it's a very similar colour palette to, like, the um, Batman movies he made. Yeah. It would have been nice seeing me a little bit more different style-wise, but again, it wouldn't have probably been a Tim Burton film if he'd have done that. Um, the acting's phenomenal. I think it was a great first role for Jamie Campbell Bower um, and a great role for basically everybody in this film. They all did amazingly well with what they were given. Everybody threw their whole self into making this film as well. There's nobody who's really just signing it in. Honing it in. Yeah, that's the phrase. Uh, there's no one who's like, it's just chuck a towel and gone and has a paycheck. Like, everybody who's involved is like actively involved in yeah. making this movie. And I think it's because they wanted sometimes approval. So, like, Johnny Depp, like, you know, went and got act like vocal lessons to try and like train his voice to be more theatrical and like Helena Bonham Carter went out of her way to like audition for the role properly and I think they have they wanted this and approval. she practiced singing while actually baking yeah which I love yeah um yeah they really everybody really does put their whole vecnussy self into this, this yeah movie. they put their fucking vecnussy in it guys um and yeah, it really, it really does come through. But yeah, a massive letdown of this movie is, as you said, it doesn't hold up as a musical. Yeah. And I remember loving this film. And I was saying to you, I was watching it, and I'm like, this is about to happen. This, I've seen it so many times, but yeah. seeing it now, I haven't seen it in maybe like a good 10 years. Yeah. Um, Watching it now, it does not hold up. Yeah. Which is a shame. Yeah. But that's our thoughts on Sweeney Todd. Have you guys seen Sweeney Todd? Did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? Let us know in the comments as always. And the comments where you can leave those comments on those places are Twitter, S-I-M-A-H-F pod. Social media wise, you can find us on the Tumblers and the Instagrams as well. So I'm Ira Horrifying, all lowercase, all one word. We will be back next week when we will be actually, we're not going to be back next week. We'll be back on Friday mm. when we're going to be looking at Little Monsters starring Lupita Nyong'o for our Crossing the Stream for this month which is going to be fun. I will. And then next Monday, we will be back with Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop. 
a movie that scared the fuck out of me as a kid. So I'm very excited. I'm very excited to watch this movie for the second time ever in my life. Um, so that'll be the next two episodes that are coming up. Once again, thank you everyone for your continued support. Thank you for all of everything that you guys do. Um, shares, likes, all that nonsense. Um, we will see you in the next episode. Stay spooky, stay safe, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.